0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: This show is brought to you by Green King, your home of pub sport. With over 900 sports pubs across the country, Green King is where the fans go, showing every broadcast game for Spurs. Head down to your nearest pub and you can enjoy every live sporting event from BT and Sky Sports on tap. Download the Green King Season Ticket app. You can receive a free drink when you register and 10% off a great range of drinks one hour before, during and after any match. Head to the App Store and search Season Ticket to download the app. When registering, if you use the promotion code SPURS, that's SPURS in all caps, as a listener of the show, you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. Green King it's where the fans go your home of pub sport get all the latest football headlines and bite-sized opinion in the brand new whistleblowers daily podcast Look for The Whistleblowers wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello Spurs fans around the world. It's me, Theo Delaney, welcoming you... To another Spurs show, I speak to you from North London. I have two excellent guests with me to uh, review recent occurrences and to preview future ones. Uh, James Passy is here. Hi, James. Good evening, Theo. Good to be back on. Nice to see you, mate. And
3: John Chambers is here. Hi, John. Hello, Theo. Uh, It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Well, it's the least we could do considering your brilliant book, Tottenham's Three Lions, which we'll be talking about uh, later in the show, which celebrates the record number of Tottenham Hotspur players who have worn the white shirt of England. But before we do that, we've got other things to talk about. And I also wanted to ask you, John, is this your first time on the show? It is, yes. Yeah, first time. So, okay, tradition dictates that I need to ask you to tell us what was your first ever Tottenham game that you attended?
3: Okay, so the first game was way back in October 1977. Um, Do you remember when Tottenham won 9-0 against Bristol Rovers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that that wasn't actually my first game, but we watched that on Match of the Day that evening. And uh, my father was a Spurs fan when he was a youngster. He went to a few games in the 60s. And I think seeing that game on Match of the Day that evening spurred him, if you pardon the pun into taking me on the Wednesday night, which was uh, a League Cup match against Coventry, um, which we actually lost three 2 Oh, but no. I always... Re- yeah. <laughs> but I always remember walking up we, we sat in the east stand the old east stand just above the shelf there yeah and i always remember the first time i'll, I'll assume most people remember this when you first walk up the stairs and you see the pitch for the first yeah. time especially under the floodlights how green it all looked yeah. and and that was it i was hooked from that day on
2: brilliant yeah you're so right if your first game is that i once took a i was once making a tv commercial in paris and i had a cameraman with me and cameraman especially this one who is a really good cameraman called ivan bird he was the cameraman on sexy beast you know that film yeah yeah very good cameraman and we were making this commercial and he at that time he i don't think he i mean he became subsequently really into football he was not into football one bit and i had tickets for paris saint germain versus arsenal at the parc de France. it was a semi-final i think of the cup winner's cup it might have been the year naïve Scored his great goal in the final. Anyway, we went to this game and I was obviously, I bought a Paris Saint-Germain scarf, needless to say. We went to the game, walked up the steps and this cameraman, Ivan Bird, he he got to the top of the steps. We were all, it was just, it was just about to kick off. We were rushing from the chute and he saw that green pitch with the floodlights on it. And he lit he literally had his breath taken away. He had to steady himself on the banister of the stairs because he was obsessed with light and what light did. And he, I, I said, what are you doing? We've got to get to our seats. And he says, sorry, I, I just, I've never seen anything like it. He became a massive football fan, but I'm sad to say that night he cheered Arsenal because he couldn't understand why I, was, why I was cheering the French team. And he became a Chelsea fan. Don't ask me why. But there we are. He's had season tickets there and everything. Anyway, yeah. that's, why, that's why I always think of when you say that. When you first see that floodlit at night, the green. Anyway, we really have digressed there. <laughs> uh for which i apologize because we've got plenty to talk about gentlemen two games have taken place since we last did a show one of them unbelievably entertaining the other one less so let's start with the entertaining one i would say that game on saturday evening the leicester game for sheer just sheer entertainment was one of the best i've seen in many a year
3: um what did you make of it john were you there I, I was. I was there, yeah. As you said, a very entertaining game. A um, little bit reminiscent of when we played them um, a few years ago back at Wembley on the last game of the season when we won 5-4. Yeah. Um, so plenty of goals, plenty of excitement, a um, little bit of heart stopping for us. Uh, I don't think we really took control of the game until late on when we uh, when put an extra man in midfield and then Leicester had no one to pass to and we suddenly took control of the game. And then of course Sonny came on and done his bit as well. Uh, came yeah. good, and um, yeah, it was a fantastic game. Yeah, um, silly goals we gave away to be honest, but we. um but it's looking very good this season. I, I'm quite impressed, you know. But sp- you know, I know we lost the other night in Lisbon, but you know we're still second in that group as well. So yeah, um, I was quite pleased. You know, you can't win every game, so yeah, it was Absolutely. a good result at the weekend. A very a fantastic game as well. Probably the yeah. best the best game at the new stadium so far, entertainment wise, yeah. anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah. James, were you worried about, I mean, I, I felt like for the first hour, we did not outplay Leicester City, who were the bottom team in the table. And I I hadn't they hadn't even won a game. I mean, so it worried me how even that game was. But uh, as John says, it was changed, I think. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but I, I felt it was changed by those substitutions, in particular, Bissouma thickening up the midfield. And then, of course, Son absolutely rediscovering his mojo. Were you concerned about that first half and the early part of the second half?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was sat uh, West Upper with my mate, Matt, mate Bryder, We, I think he's going to be listening, and um, as soon as Madison scored, we were like, oh, let's go and get a beer. I mean, mm. it, it was almost like Sunday league the first half, wasn't it? I mean, uh, no one could really seem to get their foot on the ball. I was a bit surprised that he went with Sanchez over Mamero. I mean, <laughs> he had an absolute nightmare, kind of like, did a thunder knee, fumbled it, and then obviously clumsy to give the penalty away. Mm. Um, but Yeah, I mean, yeah, we made up for its second half, didn't we? Winning that half 4-0. And I've been quite critical with Conte with his substitutions, not making enough, the timings of them. But he got it spot on Saturday, to be fair to him. He made the right ones at the right time. And, you know, it always seems to be a goal fest against Leicester in in recent games, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean... Luckily, they are very fragile, and they actually played, as I say, it was an even game for an hour, really, and it was really, I mean, but, my God, I mean, for instance, the third goal, I couldn't believe it when old Bentoncourt he's the worst finisher in Europe, you know, famously, (laughs) if you've ever seen him, all of his shots he's ever had for Spurs have been Mm. like, miles wide and he literally hadn't scored for about two two and a half years yeah it's funny actually
1: because i I can't remember how many games it was but
2: i heard the stat the other day it was 100 and around
1: 120 mark 118 119 yeah and so when i was literally coming up the steps to my seat turn around and to see him it was a great finish
2: it really was and that's the thing. I mean, he's such a class act, isn't he? Such a great player, crisp passer. Really got a lovely sort of creativity about him. Lovely little turns, lovely little no look yeah. passes and stuff. So you expect him to be a good finisher, but his his record as a goalscorer is worse than useless. So he gets the ball, a complete giveaway. I mean, he just snuck up on uh, Ndidi, wasn't it? And robs yeah. him. And he's yeah, going yeah, through
1: terrible.
2: A... Yeah, I literally shouted, "Don't I mean, shoot!" <laughs> Don't shoot! And then, just as I shouted it, he slotted it to within. A, a, it was a. It was millimetre perfect, wasn't it? Just beautifully yeah. scraped the inside of the post and went in. In off the
1: post, and I think it's definitely an upgrade from having Sosoko or Zakora shooting. oh, yeah. oh like, yeah, like we had in the past.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, he's a he's a he's a lovely player, Benton Bentenker, in every other respect. Maybe now he starts scoring goals as well. Who knows? I mean, that confidence is a wonderful thing, and the mo- the proof of that, of course, came with Somba, who who everyone was talking about beforehand. The newspapers and everything that some was, uh, you know, having a really bad run. His confidence was on the floor, and then now everyone's saying, "Oh, he's finally dropped him," because it felt like Conte was sticking with him, thinking he's got to play himself back into some form, and that he'd finally reached the end of his. Tether, but I think also psychologically, Conti maybe thought I'm going to make a few changes here because we played in the in the week. I want to get this rotation going. So if I if I take him out, but as part of a a, a more you know, I think it was four changes, wasn't it? Maybe that won't seem so sort of uh, punitive to take him out. I've been thinking that that Son's been playing not so bad. It just needed. It looked like he needed a goal, and then he comes on. I mean, those first two goals. Both of them were absolutely spectacular, weren't they, John?
3: Yeah, he loves a, he loves a spectacular goal, especially against Leicester. Uh, yeah. He seems to pull it out against Leicester for some reason. But like you said, Theo, he's um, been playing okay this season, not up to his usual form, but a little bit unlucky, I think, in some of the early games. Um, yeah. He's hit the post a couple of times. The keepers have made some great saves. So just wasn't getting the rub of the green, but you know, came on at the weekend. I think he was only on for about 20 was it no half an hour he was on for i think but um yeah but the uh what was it the uh, 20 minutes or something the the hat trick he got yeah, yeah. Like so minutes, 13 yeah. minutes yeah. So, was yeah. It 13, 13 minutes yeah 13 yeah. minutes yeah
1: unbelievable yeah it was I
2: mean, a great, a, uh, I mean those first two goals both absolutely sumptuous and one with the right foot one with the left foot I don't know if you've seen that video going around, which is a split-screen video of his goal against Leicester at home last season and the first of his goals against... Or it might be a sec- it's the second goal, actually, that he scored on Saturday. There's an incredible split-screen video. I think Tottenham Hotspur themselves tweeted it. And it's almost spooky and weird because it's the same goal. Almost exactly the same goal. He's, on this, he's hit the ball from exactly the same spot at the same end it's curled in in exactly the same way and then he's trotted away with that understated celebration he does and then emerson royale joins him in exactly the same way honestly if you haven't seen it i recommend anyone listening it, it's weird it's like there's a par- it's like it's something out of the matrix
3: it's it's so strange but
0: it just but shows it was- you that yeah he
3: was always he was always going to come good though wasn't he i mean he's, he's a quali- quality act i think at the weekend he went above um, went above Alan Gilsey. that's right yeah then, he did yeah, yeah. and yeah, I mean, yeah. In, in quite a lot less games as well to be honest and yeah. i think he's level he's level with len Dukeman now as well so he's rising up that charts i think by the time Hopefully, if he stays with Spurs for another two, three years, he'll probably end up as possibly, you know, up near where Jimmy Greaves is, to be honest. I don't yeah. think he'll catch Harry Kane. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, he'll definitely, he should definitely get over 200 goals for us if he stays for another two or three years. Yeah, quality uh, quality player.
2: I mean, you know, it's so easy to take things for granted, you know, when things are going well. But when you think about it, you look at those four strikers, they've all got goals in them, haven't they? I mean, Son was the only one who was misfiring. And look at that. He scored a hat-trick in 13 minutes. You look at Richarlison's got goals in him. Kuliszewski, so classy, so unpredictable, has got goals in him. And then we've got the ultimate goalkeeper of our times in Harry, uh, goal scorer rather, uh, of our times in Harry Kane. And you think, I mean, most Premier League teams would kill for one finisher as good as as any of them. And we've got four. And that's why, you know, I think that's why we're in the running. I mean, there's a lot of negativity on social media inevitably as always you know about the way we're playing people say we haven't got anyone to to pass it in the midfield and we certainly did suffer in that respect as we said in the first hour we weren't able to put our foot on the ball and keep it for long enough that's certainly true but i agree james what you said about the substitute. it was almost when he when he when when it looked like basuma was coming on i actually even though kulu had done nothing wrong i i I was hoping he'd take him off and put an extra man into that midfield, and and it just it just transformed the whole game, didn't it?
1: Yeah, like you said, just thickening up the the midfield, more bodies in the midfield, um, and you know Emerson Royal coming on as well, Paris. It's just you know fresh fresh legs. It's, I saw I can't remember if it was a tweet or someone I was speaking to, but now that you can make five substitutions, it's almost like you've got a sixty minute game of football, and then a 30-minute game of football that's completely different. Yeah. And that's why I was getting frustrated with Conte's sort of substitutions and these decisions because, you know, when you've got five to make, why not make them all, or at least four, especially, when you know, when we're struggling and he, he seemed to be sticking to the same lineup. Like we said, Sonny, like John said, Sonny was always going to come good and he's come mm. off the bench and, you know, proved that he has. But a lot of fans were calling for him, you know, to have a rest, you know, and start uh, Kudovetsky and... Rickarlison and Kane instead mm. and obviously on um on Saturday it works but you know if we look at those substitutions on Saturday we made four you know in the performance in in Lisbon we only made one we lost the game 2-0 whereas Lisbon they brought on two of their substitutions they brought on both scored and won the game so it does seem to be sort of that's brought an, another element to the game I feel you know another tactical element to the game
2: yeah I think you're right there's a lot of unrest, as I said, there always is, and that's fine. It, fans are entitled to have their say, uh, and there are, nothing's ever perfect. There's always things you can improve, but there's a lot of uh, unrest about Emerson Royale and... Yeah. Lots of player, lots of fans really don't rate him at all. There's a lot of people are mystified as to why he keeps getting picked, not just because they think he has shortcomings himself, but because there's so many other options in that position. You look at Spence, who can't even get on the bench. You look at Doherty, who last season before he got injured was playing very, very well at right wing back. Yeah, he but, was. When Lucas Moura comes back, he can play there. Perisic can play there on the right as well. If you wanted to play someone else on the left, so there's so many options. And he just—I mean—he didn't start him for the first time in a long time. He didn't start him on Saturday, but he still brought him on. You know, uh, in the second
3: half. So, John, how bad is he? Is he that bad? Well, I think he's—I um, think he's more of a fullback rather than a wingback, to be honest. Yeah, um, and he, he's good defensively and he can get up and down the pitch, but, you know, when he, when you get into attacking positions, he's crossing sometimes a little bit off. Um, so, but, you know, he came on at the weekend. I think he brought him on to sort of help try and close the game down, go a little bit more de- defensive. I think like you said, the substitutions did work at the weekend. Um, I felt in the first half, um, Leicester were playing the ball around us a little bit in midfield because they was, you know, they played with a free. Madison drops back and, uh, well, I think it was Tielemans was actually dropping back a little bit. They were all dropping back and then making a three against R2 because yeah. the, the wing-backs were st- sticking out wide. And we were just a little bit overrun in the first hour. But once uh, once Basuma came on and we had that extra man in the midfield, you, you, you could visibly see when Leicester were on the ball, they didn't actually have anyone to pass to. Because we yeah. were closing all the spaces, and then, and then we was winning the ball back off them. Then so and uh, and you know, and then Sunny came on as well, and it just just made all the difference. The substitutions made the difference. But I think the season's going really well. I mean, when you is it seven games we've played now in the league? Is it seven? Yeah, seven. Yeah, so, one yeah, five like two, and, on two. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. so we've won all our home games, which is pretty yeah. impressive, including the game yeah. in Europe as well. And if you consider. Um, we've got two, two of the away games we've played are probably two of the places where we traditionally don't do too well. You know, Chelsea, yeah. we hardly ever get a win or, or a draw there. Yeah. And West Ham's been, we sometimes win at West Ham, but it is a bit of a tricky place to go. They do tend to up their game against totally, us. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, it wasn't a great result getting a draw there. I thought, we, I thought we dominated that game and should have won. But but when you take that all into consideration, I think it's been a pretty, pretty good start, really, to be honest. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you would definitely have taken it, put it that way, wouldn't you? Take yeah, yeah. take five wins and two draws from your first seven games. Obviously, we didn't have to actually have to play Man City because that got postponed. But even so, but we have lost one game. So let's talk about that. It was the first game we lost since April, which it tells you a lot. Uh, but we lost in Lisbon in a game that phew, I felt was a pretty even game. I felt we shaded it on, in terms of quality of chances, and then suddenly at the end there Bosh bosh we've lost 2-0. James did it did, did was it a cause for concern for you?
1: Um yeah I mean at the time fair yeah I I didn't think we played particularly well. Um it almost seemed like we were playing for the draw, you know, the point yeah. would have been good. Um possibly a fair result but I think they probably shaded the better chances. Marcus Edwards was always going to Play well against us. I was dreading that. I thought he was going to get on the score sheet, but yeah, he was magnificent. Um, it just had a strange feel to the game. You know, it was that earlier game, midweek, it almost felt like a pre season game, watching it on TV. We didn't seem to get going. Um, yeah, it was, it was a weird one. I thought we were going to nick the point. You know, Larice made some fantastic saves. Yeah. But obviously, you know, that like I said, their two substitutions made all the difference for them, and they managed to nick it at the end. And um, I guess that's you know, when you're running the risk, you know, nil nil, either team can can nick a goal, and with the home advantage, they, you know, they got it, which is disappointing. But we've we've got three points to beat Marseille, so you know, it's as long as we win our, win our home games and at least pick up a couple of points hopefully on the other two Mm -hmm. away games and that would be good I agree with John as well about going back to Royale I mean in that game I thought he was poor Um, his crossing isn't (laughs) amazing is it but I think on the whole his general game has improved like Mm -hmm. many under Conte you know when you've got a world class coach like that players are going to improve but um, yeah I mean it'd be nice if we had someone with a a better cross but Perisic's crossing seems to be a lot better and we are start, starting to get goals from headers now, aren't we? You know, from corner set pieces, and we never really used to. So that's a plus as well.
2: Yeah, we seem to get loads of goals that way, which actually, yeah. which is a great cause for celebration in some ways. But then then you think, because we've got this, you know, set piece specialist famous, this guy who's come in, the guru from Italy. <laughs> yeah, the people keep talking about him, don't they? Yeah. yeah what a it- job to have. <laughs> yeah and and he's god knows what what what, what salary he's on but <laughs> yeah. but the thing is it seems to be working corners are much better you know free kicks and stuff so you start to think that's brilliant great but then you also start to think like well suppose we hadn't hired him would we now be looking at a far a far smaller points tally i don't know there's always a there's we you know as a spurs fan you're always looking for the downside obviously but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great that the corners have improved generally. Which is corners. I mean, for years we've all been moaning about the quality of corners, haven't we? And but it's interesting that goal that uh, Eric Dyer scored on Saturday was almost a carbon copy of the goal we let in, wasn't it, in Lisbon uh, on yeah. the first goal? And that's a goal that's so hard to defend against, isn't it? If you if you oh very if you can send a ball in from a corner that is hit very hard and very accurately. It's really hard to defend if the if the if the attacker can get just that perfect glance on it, it's going in, isn't it? And I, that's why I yeah. felt it was a bit, it was in some ways forgivable that defeat in Lisbon because that goal was a very very hard goal to legislate against. And then the second goal, you could say, oh, we were all over the place, but we were. You know, you're chasing an equaliser at that point, so you're you, you always yeah, run the true. risk of letting in another goal. And yeah. I agree with the with you both. When you know you can afford, if you're going to lose a game, and we hadn't lost one since April. If you get if someone says, "Look, you're not going to win every game," you can choose to lose one game before the international break. What game you've got to choose? One. What you're going to choose? You choose that game, wouldn't you? The away game in the Champions League, because as you say, there's plenty of scope for us to recover. Three points from the two games. Three home games to come. Uh, rather, two home games and two away games to come. If we can pick up even seven points from those th- four games, we should be absolutely fine and get through no no danger. I mean, there is also the suspicion, which we've talked about on here before, that that maybe Conte isn't that bothered about the Champions League, but I think he'd want to get out of the group, wouldn't he?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> I think he would want to get out of the group. I mean, go, going back to that game, um, you know, the goal we did let in, um, it doesn't help. Sometimes we do the zonal marking, so it's always difficult to pick up the p- players that do the run in, uh, run off the ball. So maybe you know that that's not great. And then, do you remember in the old days? There's always there was always a player on the back post, wasn't there? There was always yeah. fullbacks on the post. I don't know why yeah. teams don't do that anymore. Do you know, do you, yeah, they know,
1: mentioned that in commentary, John. Sorry, yeah, they, yeah. they mentioned that yeah. in the commentary that used to have you know a man on the back stick, and but now they don't. Coaches it's a funny thing it,
2: isn't it? because those two things you mentioned there, John are things that always always come up don't they uh, the match of the day the analysis and whatever always there's there's the zonal marking thing has now been a thing for several years and now nearly all the top teams seem to do zonal marking from corners and i mean very often you just think why are you doing that if everyone's got a man then surely that means everywhere everything all eventualities are covered I don't understand, uh, put it this way I I don't understand zonal marking. I don't understand why all these top sophisticated managers think it's a better idea. And the back posting is another thing. People in the old days, you know, whenever a goal like that goes in, people always say, well, you know, in the old days, you'd have had a man on the back post. You might have had a man on the front post. I suppose, actually, the mass of it works out is that if you're going to do man for man marking and have two people on the posts, maybe you haven't got enough men. But if you're going to do zonal marking, you might maybe you can put people on the... I don't know. It just always comes up whenever you let goals in that way. And there must be some rationale for it, is there, James? Do you, can you explain to me the merits of zonal marking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can understand why coaches do it, but, you know, if if if, if an attacker's free in the box, you'd want a defender to be marking. You know I mean? Why, why do the,
2: they... When you say you understand why they do it, why do they do it? Because if, you, if you've
1: got, like zones so to speak and you want this zone covered yeah this zone covered then they're going to have defenders and you've got to keep your shape within the tactics but yeah personally I would have you know old school man for man every defender is marking someone um if you see someone coming in free bullet header in the back of the net your instant reaction to the fan is well who's marking him but you know, maybe it's another thing you know, for modern football. Maybe we're going to be getting a zonal marking coaching scene as well.
2: Well, that would be a bad idea. <laughs> let's leave. Let's let's leave it for a moment. Uh, we'll be back after this quick break. Okay, round two. Name
0: something that's not boring. A laundry. Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.
2: And we are back. Uh, and then before we continue, I just wanted to say for premium content, including a daily news show, ex-player interviews, and original documentary series on Spurs, go to patreon.com forward slash Spurs show and support our show in the process. Our monthly London live show returns next month. Uh, you can sign up and join us at season.spursshow.net. On September the 28th, we got Colin Calderwood. Colin Calderwood and on October the 24th, we've got Jerry Armstrong. So sign up and get yourself a nice season ticket for that. Those nights are always excellent. I'm really looking forward to those two. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and please leave us a nice review on iTunes. If you get a moment next week's guests are Russ Williams, legend, Andrew Wilson, legend, and Abby Summers, legend. So look, uh, I'm looking forward to, that. I think Mike's in the chair next week. So I'll be listening now. Now, John, I have in front of me a most beautiful tome, and it is Tottenham's Three Lions uh, for Club and Country. And you are, of course, the author of this lovely book. It's a lovely weighty book with beautiful quality of paper stock, lots and lots of glossy photographs, but not just photographs uh, of the players, but also lovely artefacts like the cigarette cards from the time and uh, programme covers and things like that. And it's also got every single... Spurs player to have played for England gets a write-up, some biographical stuff, and then there's a list of all their caps and even a list of all their unused England selections. So the times they've been in the squad without getting on the pitch, and some Tottenham Spurs stats as well. So it's a it's got everything, this book. It's a thing of beauty. It's packed full of information. And if it's your thing, it's also got the actual detailed information on top of that. What gave you the idea of doing this book, John?
3: Um, well, uh, firstly, Theo, I'd like to say um big, big thank you to the publishers, um, to David Lane at Legends Publishing. They've done a great job with publishing the book. As you say, it's come out. It's fantastic. It looks fantastic. Um, hardback cover, nice glossy pages. Um, I think there's over 200 photographs in there. We tried to get a photograph of every single player in their Tottenham kit and in their England kit as well. And we chose photographs that haven't, not all of them, but most of them haven't really been really been seen before, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, like you pick up some Spurs books and you see the same old photographs all the time. So we tried to do that. Lots of memorabilia and everything in there. But the idea came to me. I work at Spurs. Um, I'm a stadium tour guide there. I have been since 2014 at the old White Hart Lane, then did a little bit of Wembley as well when we moved there and now at the new stadium. And it was just a case of, um, I'd never really written anything before, to be honest, but we used to do, when we did the tours at White Hart Lane, I don't know if you remember, in the West End Box Holders Lounge, there was an international list of all the players that had played uh, the internationals while at Spurs, and um, we used to talk about that as part of the tour. And I did a lot of research on some of the guys, especially the older guys that had played during the war and things like that. Found some really interesting stories out about them. Used to tell them to the tour. And so many people said to me afterwards, after the tours, that was, you know, fantastic information. You, sh- you should write a book on this subject. And um, I didn't think nothing of it at first, but then so many people kept saying, so I thought, you know, maybe there is. And when Eric Dyer came on for England back in 2015, We broke the record. Um, We became the club with the most internationals. Uh, We overtook it from Aston Villa. And I just thought it'd be a really good time to actually sit down and try and do it. And, uh, yeah, and it was a a labour of love, really, Theo. It took me about three years. But um, I think I've got quite a lot of good information in there and lots of research. And I think if you read it cover to cover, which would probably take you a long time, to be honest, but if you did read it cover to cover, if you knew nothing about Spurs or England, I think you'd probably know virtually every fact about the club and England. Um, Try to encompass that within all the players' profiles. So um, you could actually learn everything. And there's every sort of fact in there that I could uh, associate with Tottenham and England. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a joy to put together. So if anyone does buy it, I hope they enjoy enjoy reading it as much as uh, I enjoyed uh, putting it all together, to be honest. And had you ever done a book before? Uh, have, you, have you been a writer in the past? Uh, no, no, I just decided to do this and, um, yeah, just put it all together. And, um, uh, it helped. We had a year off work. Uh, do you remember when from yeah, COVID? I did. Yeah. So I didn't go to work for a year. So I managed to sort of, um, uh, rewrite a lot of it and sort of get the last edit up to really good, you know, and done a lot of research. i have done a hell of a lot of research, especially you mentioned the unused England games. That was, uh, that was quite a feat trying yeah, to research yeah, all of that. I and, bet, yeah. yeah. Trailing through newspapers from the early 1900s on yeah. online and stuff, trying to find out when players were reserves and things like that. So I think it's uh, I think it's quite accurate. So quite pleased with it in the end. It's
2: a great source of pride, isn't it, for a Tottenham fan to know that we've had more England players than any other club? Don't you think, James?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that um, that sounds great, John. That you're able to research all that and get even the players who didn't you know, actually get a cap in in the book as well. I actually follow England home the way myself flying out to Milan Friday, really wow. early Friday for yeah. the Nations League. Um great to see Dyer call back up into the squad, long yeah. overdue I think. Yeah. Um and you know, you know, in our when we were playing really well under Poch we had I think it was five players in the squad, you know, when Danny Rose and Carl Walker were in their prime. Yeah. Winks used to make it in there as well just yeah. Townsend got in as well Delhi Alley um, yeah oh, Delhi obviously as well you know we had these great English players I think at the moment we do seem to be struggling a bit with homegrown talent I mean John have you seen
3: anyone youth wise that you think would be good for
1: England coming through
3: um, but we've got a few sort of we've got a few youngsters haven't we but I mean we've only got a couple of players in the under 21s at the moment which is Skip and Spence um, yeah. below that below that there's Scarlett I think Scarlett has a good shout but it'll be yeah. probably a couple of years before he's ready to play for England I would imagine yeah. or even Spurs but yeah, you know, he's been the, playing them for them the under-19s
1: teams,
3: hasn't he? That's it. Yeah, Noel John was has came come through all the England ranks from from the lower levels and uh, there's, a, there's a few of them there that look quite good at the lower level but mm. there's a hell of a lot of players that, that don't go on you'd be surprised I mean we've I think we've had about 150 players all told if you because i I actually researched for the book um all the way back to under 15 level but we just didn't have enough space to put it all into the book. So i'm hoping there might be another book from under 23s do you remember the old under 23s so from that all the way down to under 15s we might be doing another one so there's about 150 players that have played at a youth level that have like come from spurs but a hell of a lot of them never even really made it at Spurs or went on to play at England at a higher level or anything. So it is quite an achievement to, to actually go on to play for the first team, I think, for England. I mean, Harry Kane wasn't even selected for England at un- under-16 level. They they didn't think he was, uh, he was good enough then, but he yeah. came in at the under-17. So it, it just shows you players develop at different ages. And, oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dane Scarlett, I think, looks the best youngster that we've got, England-wise,
2: I think. Right. He's scoring for fun at the moment, isn't he, at Portsmouth? They totally love him already. I love it when a loan goes well like that. It's great, isn't it? Because you just think this young lad is suddenly having the time of his life. They love him, the fans, which is so good for him, you know, for his confidence. He's playing in front of proper crowds. And Portsmouth... Even though they're a couple of levels down, they're a big club at that level. They get they get good gates and they've got fervent following. That's for sure. And he's uh, yeah, and he's scoring. I mean, the really important thing is he gets his confidence up playing in competitive, you know, grown up football and scoring goals every week. That's superb. Do you have favourite England players uh, that emerged as you were doing the book that, that become your favourites, John?
3: Well, my, my, my favorite player of all time, Spurs, who, who did play for England, obviously as well, is, is Glenn Hoddle. You know, yeah. I don't think you can find a better player than that, to be honest. But but there was some interesting, yeah. I mean, the, the guys in the twenties. Um, that was when we first had we had four four players in the England team uh, at one time in 1921. Um, previously to that, we we only had two in the side before, so that was quite an achievement. Just before they won the FA Cup final. Uh, in 1921, fourth, then played. But I think one of my favourite ones that I didn't know too much about, I'd heard the name, but uh, researched him was the very first one, Vivian Woodward. Um, of course, of people, yeah. Yeah, a lot of Spurs fans don't really know the name or know how good he was. Uh, he was an amateur, um, yeah. so he could play for any other club. He never ever claimed expenses to go to and from the game. He scored 29 goals in 23 games for England. He was England's captain. He was England's highest goal-scoring captain up until um, just a couple of years ago to when uh, Harry Kane actually took the record off of him. Wow. So, yeah, and he was England's um, highest goal-scorer for 45 years wow. until Tom Finney overtook him, yeah. And a lot of uh, lot of Spurs fans had never even heard of him, but he was quite a character. He was... Um, when the first world war started, um, he'd moved on to Chelsea by then, he was coming towards the end of his career, mm. but um, he went straight off to the war because you know the war carried on, mm. um, uh, for, the, for the season right through to 1915. And uh, so, but he went straight away, um, joined the footballers' battalion, and because uh, he was like a stiff upper lip type of guy, old, old sort of Edwardian footballer, and um. Then he was called back. Chelsea got to the cup final in 1915, and their striker was injured, so they called him back. He came back from the trenches. Um, took him a couple of weeks to get back. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he arrived. He arrived at Old Trafford because this was a long time before Wembley was built. Yeah. He yeah. arrived at Old Trafford, and um, the guy who should have been playing was now suddenly fit, and uh, he refused to play. He said the players that um, the players that got the team there they should play. And wow. um yeah, and uh, he went straight back to the war. Yeah. Wow, that, so that is an me.
2: incredible story, isn't yeah, it? About?
3: So, yeah, so all those sort of stories are in the book as well. There was yeah. another great story as well. He we was so well respected by the uh the, the the other team and the referees alike that everyone on the pitch called him Sir, even the other team and the referee. And wow. there was a situation Ooh. one day where um bit like Jeff Hurst when, you know, when the ball hit the underside of the bar, and we wasn't mm. sure when it went, whether it went in, He we was playing for Spurs and um, the referee went over to him and said, Mr. Woodward, uh, was that a goal? And he said, yes, it went over the line and the referee turned around and said, if Mr. Woodward says it's a goal, it's wow. a goal. Yeah, could you imagine any modern day
2: football? No, I was just immediately <laughs> thinking who would be the equivalent of that today that you could trust, and it took me a nanosecond to realise nobody, <laughs>
3: nobody no. me. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
2: that he is also, an, that's amazing. Yeah, he,
3: he also used to play for um, as well as his full England appearances, so twenty nine of uh, twenty three of them. He also played for the England amateur side as well. And he scored something ridiculous like about 44 goals in or 60 60 odd goals in so many games and um, but he would if they got a penalty he would deliberately kick the ball over the bar because he believed in the Corinthian notion that uh, no gentleman would deliberately foul another gentleman <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, yeah. so that's why he was never he was never allowed to take a penalty for the full England team because they no. didn't agree with that yeah oh, so no. well, that that's just yeah that makes his goal tally for England even more impressive oh, because totally, he, never, yeah. he never took a penalty yeah, I mean you yeah,
2: look at yeah. Lineker and uh, Kane of course Big Shearer, big penalty takers
3: not well, Vivian right. yeah, yeah well oh, Kane you. Kane Kane's the uh, record goal scorer um for England in penalties he's got right. 15
2: yeah he's yeah. So the record but, captaincy goal scorer record penalty goal scorer and you 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 confidently I mean he's going to he's going to yeah, become record gonna, yeah. goal scorer isn't he yeah
3: Yeah I mean I think by the time he finishes career he will probably have all the England records. He's got so yeah. many already. He's already like, like you mentioned, he's the uh, he's the highest goal scoring captain.
2: Yeah,
3: um, he scored the most goals in a calendar year at sixteen. Uh, that's a record. He took that from I think Dixie Dean. Do you remember him? He yeah. was the record. That's yeah, how yeah. long that record yeah. stood. Wow. wow. But, yeah. Um, he's he scored in five. Se- he's highest goal scoring five seasons. I think Gary Lineker's top on seven there so he's got a, t- a few more years to overtake that record as well. He yeah. scored the most goals in European qualifying. Of course, he's got a golden boot as well. Only Gary Lineker... He's got a golden boot as well. He's yeah. got a chance to get another one as well. So, yeah, I mean, and the most penalties. He, he, he's going to be, you know, and the records with Spurs as well. You look at the records he's done with Spurs already. Yeah. Is yeah. it most most pre, most away Premier League goals? Yeah. Uh, he's got that little record with Son, isn't it? Where, they're, yeah. you know, where Most they're, com- combinations in Premier yeah. League history. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's, you know, he's on his way to trying to catch... Uh, Alan Shearer as yeah. well, which yeah. I think he, he may well do as long as he stays in the Premier League and yeah. stays
2: fit. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, of let's he, hope
3: so. He, he looks like he's going to break Jimmy Greaves' Tottenham goal-scoring record yeah. this year, which, which yeah. nobody thought anyone would ever do. To be honest.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but good to, luck to to yeah. him. We're we're yeah. bloody lucky, as I say uh, said earlier. You can take you can take these things for granted, but we basically got, you know, as you've just demonstrated so comprehensively, we've got one of the greatest. Footballers of all time. If you go by if you go by stats alone, that's what we've got here. Never mind one of the greatest Tottenham footballers, one of the greatest England footballers of all time. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, certainly outside of Tottenham.
3: No, yeah, that's right. He's got five five hat tricks for England. That's one behind Jimmy Greaves, so he may well overtake that record as well. And do you remember remember he scored two hat-tricks back-to-back, didn't he, a while ago for England? He scored three and then four, or four and three. And um, on one of those games, I think it was the first game, he he equaled Jimmy Greaves' goal-scoring record 44 goals. Right. And everyone was saying, well, yeah, but Jimmy Greaves took 57 games to do it. Harry did it in 69 games or whatever, so more games. Technically, yes, you're correct, more games. But I'm sorry to be really nerdy here, Theo. But I did the yeah. maths on it, and on the um, minutes. And, yeah, I did the maths on the minutes. Yeah, yeah. and. um, but with all the times Kane's been taken off or been a substitute, yeah. there was only seven seven minutes difference wow. in, in that record. Yeah, wow. so Who'd it shows have thought you how Harry Kane is, yeah. It really does, because Jimmy Grease was
2: pretty bloody good, let's face it. Well, he this was, book, yeah. this fantastic book, as you can see, de- I mean, you know, anyone listening will know now, it is a comprehensive record. Tottenham's Three Lions by John Chambers. Uh, where's the best place to get it?
3: um you can get it on legends publishing or you yeah. can get it on amazon as well yeah. amazon.com okay. so if you're a prime member as well you'll get free postage on amazon lovely. as well so yeah. lovely
2: well thanks john for for telling us all about it it's a lovely book yeah, and exactly. I, I cherish it i really do uh so let's talk so we've got no you're, you're off the hook guys because there's no uh forthcoming match for you that for me to force you to make a prediction uh normally that is your odious task or arduous task, perhaps we should call it. But instead of that, I'm going to ask you to make more general predictions. So James, what do you think we're going to achieve this season? Things are looking really good at the moment. What what do you think, realistically, this team can do?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're looking looking strong, aren't we? We're looking solid. And even when we're not playing well, it's the old cliche of still, you know, grinding out results, even when we're not playing well. Yeah. So I mean, as long as we can stay in that top four, maybe push a bit higher. It's just so difficult to challenge with the lights of City, the lights of Liverpool, isn't it? I mm. mean, even you know, hate to say it, but Chelsea and, and United because of the financial clout that they've got. Yeah. Um, but, you know. W- w- Conte said recently, didn't he? In a in a press conference, he needs three more windows for us to be title contenders. That just shows how difficult it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. You know, does he really need three windows? Because that would be a complete overhaul of the squad, wouldn't it? But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm hoping. I'm hoping maybe go a little bit higher than last season. That's quite optimistic, but you know, maybe third. And if yeah. we can finally get that piece of silverware. I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd pick fifth and an FA Cup. That, that's me personally, you know, right. to win something and hopefully, you know, a, a nice little run in Europe as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't. I find it hard to believe Conte doesn't value the Champions League. Surely mm-hmm. he's, you know, that's got to be a priority. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, out of all of those things, I'd pick an FA Cup. Uh, or a piece of silverware, that would be amazing because it's starting to get a bit boring listening to all, <laughs> everyone giving us jib, isn't it,
3: about not winning anything. Yeah, but, yeah,
2: absolutely. But yeah, yeah. I'm John, what do, you, what do you think we can do? Um,
3: I think we can go really high this season, to be honest. Um, you know, Liverpool are stuttering. I mean, before the end of last season, I, I, I thought it would be very difficult to finish above Liverpool and Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Um, even with signings, and we did go out and buy a lot of signings. But the way we've started, I've been quite impressed, and um, we haven't really clicked yet, have we? We haven't really really played very well, and we're still quite you know we're still right right up there just you know point off the top or whatever it is so I think I think we could possibly it's going to be so hard to get above Manchester City yeah. Yeah. if you look over the last five years they've been winning the league with 95 to 100 points that's yeah. virtually winning near yeah. every yeah. game and now like, they've now they've know, got
2: Harland is it's, yeah. it's like they're, they're uh, the same only better is, yeah. that's yeah. the yeah. trouble like I think
3: I think second, second, yeah second or third and win a trophy I think would be fantastic for us this yeah. season and it's time. Time we won a trophy yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. 100. Yeah, All right. Well,
2: I I agree with your views, guys. I think yeah. I think maybe even second. Yeah, and maybe and let's hope we win. I'd love us to win the FA Cup and get second. But we'll see. I That'd mean, I, still, I think we've got an outside chance even in the title race. But we need things to go. Oh no. Need go <laughs> at, we need things to go wrong up it. We need things to go wrong up at um, the Etihad. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks ever so much, James. Thanks, John. I appreciate you guys joining me. Uh, for this Spurs show, which I've enjoyed immensely. Just a reminder again, Tottenham's Three Lions by John Chambers. Brilliant book available at Amazon and at Legends Publishing. Uh, tune in next week. But for now, from the three of us, uh, all that remains to say is, go you Spurs! If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.